welcome to my art forum. It's time for post-orthodoxy, a show about changing our minds. Yeah, baby. With your hosts, Dark and Ainsley Sevier. Maybe what they believe about reality isn't all of reality. What? I know, right? We are on a mission to have a better time with more people more often. The question is more how do you get there? Post-orthodoxy explores strongly held beliefs, how those belief systems divide or connect people, and what might be found beyond those reality bubbles. Keep calm. Don't lose your head. I've got a piece of chocolate here with me because I got anxiety about doing this. Welcome to this neighborhood, neighbor. Thanks for joining us for episode two of Post-Orthodoxy, recorded live on September 19th, 2019, from the KBMF radio studios in Butte, America. In this hour-long show, Dark interviews Ainsley about her decade-long journey out of the reformed evangelical Christian purity culture reality bubble she grew up in. Post-Orthodoxy kind of evolved from our conversations um, with Mokai and various neighbors here in the U.S. And some of uh, my personal conversations, DJ Red handed Jill with friends of mine who came from um, similar religions to the one that I grew up in about how difficult it is to um, move beyond a way of thinking, especially one that you were raised in, without feeling like uh, you're stepping out into a scary world all alone and talking with people about those transitions and figuring out how we are all not actually alone. That sounds like a show. Yeah. It's evolving, like everything that's not dying. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the effort, the project. There are so many efforts. Uh, Copacetic Conversation lives on uh, in a sort of uh, side project here called, um, I think you came up with the title. Post-Orthodoxy. Yeah. Do you want to try to explain a little more about that or what your motivation is for spending two hours of your weekend mm. talking to other people about their orthodox experience and transition from? Um, sometimes many people on this planet... Going, zooming out. Zooming out. Okay. Many humans on this planet that we all live on together and can't live anywhere else have very closely held beliefs or perceptions of the world around them. And those beliefs or perceptions make them feel like nobody else's beliefs or perceptions are correct. Okay. Like they know the only way things are supposed to be and the only way you're supposed to behave and anybody else that's saying or doing anything differently is incorrect or sometimes is uh, going to suffer forever because of the way they believe. And there are a lot of belief systems on this planet. So many. So many. But there's only one correct one, I guess. A lot of belief systems say that they're the correct one. Ah. Like um, environmentalists feel that the way that they preserve the planet and sacrifice of themselves to use inconvenient things rather than plastics mm -hmm. um, is the only correct way you can do it. And if you're not doing it that way, then you must hate the planet. Mm. And you're contributing to all of us eventually not having breathable air in 15 years. So what, what, is there a difference or a nuanced difference between, or does it matter between uh, the word orthodox and fundamental? Like um, fundamentalism. So the word orthodox 
is hmm, a person who is orthodox is um, strict in their views, especially religious or political views or other beliefs or practices. Mm-hmm. Um, this person, an orthodox person, conforms to what that group says is right or true. Mm-hmm. Um, and is uh, just behaves strictly towards those beliefs. A fundamentalist or fundamentalism is a for a belief system, especially a religious one that upholds that their belief is the strict and literal interpretation of reality. Mm. Wow. And and um, both of those things, either orthodoxy or fundamentalism, creates an otherism. Ah of anybody outside of those beliefs on, and we all live on the same planet. Mm. Copacetic conversations had a huge goal of having productive conversations about difficult subjects Mm. in an effort to help, especially people in the U S right now talk with each other, even when they disagree and understand that we all live in the same neighborhood. Mm. And if we're going to live productively in the same neighborhood and not be distracted fighting each other, when there are people taking our freedoms away, then we need to learn how to talk with each other productively, even when we disagree. Post-orthodoxy kind of zooms that in to focus on mostly the section of humanity that has realized the things that they believe are not the only correct things to believe, and that there is a way for people with different belief systems to work together, and Mm -hmm. that there is a way to have an open mind where mm. you can accept new information without being afraid or without it undermining your salvation, whatever you think your salvation is. You mean they're willy-nilly folks that don't have any strong ideas. Right. Their minds are so open, their brains are liable to fall, fall out. out. Fall out of All their right. skulls. Um, so uh, if people have listened to the show before, usually we uh, live stream this so people can get involved in the dialogue, but... Um, Neither one of us wanted to do our hair today. <laughs> this is true. Nor- Which is funny because uh, Citizen DJ Dark Sevier is bald. I got a hat on, so you don't know that. <laughs> Thanks for letting everybody know. I had to let him in on the joke. Otherwise, no. they might have thought you really didn't want to do your hair. So, um, the shows that we have done before with uh, Copacetic Conversations and the conversations that we have with our friend Mokai, he added a nice element of alienness being a. You really love calling him an alien. He is an alien. He's an alien to this country. And maybe a wizard. And perhaps a wizard. Um, So his alien perspective, his having um, not been raised in the culture, not being steeped in the culture, in the religion, in the politics. In uh, the U.S. In the U.S., in in our system, Mm -hmm. gave him a nice um, uh, vantage point from which to ask questions. Uh, And it was wonderful for me to sit in the chair next to him because... People who are used to explaining or um, prosthetizing their particular point of view. Um, explaining had, or preaching. Or preaching their point of view, right? Representing their point of view. Uh, had to sort of take a step back and redefine their own terms uh, to accommodate somebody who didn't have a lot of the points of reference. So Yeah, they had to explain things differently to Mokai because he wasn't used to the same old arguments U.S. people use around each other all the time. Right, so I, th- I found that very useful for me to understand my own culture because uh, I have to explain myself differently when I'm explaining context of mm-hmm. some topic to Mokai. And our guests found themselves doing the same thing, and I think it was enlightening for everybody. Um, one of our guests that we had at the very beginning of this project, uh, or who's been a part of the project was, uh, a character, local character, mm. 
um, who was uh, who voted for Hillary Clinton, mm. then uh, became a uh, avid Trump supporter. That's interesting. Right. I thought that was interesting. A lot of people would, that's like a unicorn in the Yeah, a lot of people don't of, think that happens. Democrat how, how, or die. How could it happen? So uh, he's and also. It, and hmm. if you go back on your democratism, then you were never a true Democrat. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, okay. So anyway, voted Democrat, uh, supporting Trump. I don't know if he's supporting the Republicans mm-hmm. so much as he is an uh, avid supporter of our current president. Mm-hmm. Um, this gentleman works in the, uh, in the extraction industry mm-hmm. in North Dakota um, and has decided to get involved politically and run for Montana's congressional house seat. Oh. Now, he has not declared that. He can, you can declare the candidacy, but you can't do all the hubbub until January. Right. You can't file the has paperwork. Has he declared and, a platform yet? He has declared a platform. Oh. Um, and uh, one of the things I agree with some of the platform, one of his big things is term limits so yeah. that we don't have senators in there until they're, you know, gate-mouthed, uh, out-of-touch, uh, corrupted individuals. But that's why you he, spend a short amount of time. You represent your people. You go back to work. That's mm-hmm. I, I go back su- to being a citizen. <laughs> going back to being a citizen. Is he I, the one that shared that. the thing about how um, congressional officiants kids never have to pay student loans? Something like that. Uh, right. <laughs> so um, <laughs> right, and then you get paid forever. Right, even when you're not doing that job right. anymore. So. Um, I agree with some parts of his platform. Uh, one part of the platform, and this is my own personal bias that I found, uh, I'll say, laughable, mm. um, was his the use of the term healthy extraction. <coughs> yeah, healthy uh, fossil fuel extraction. So like clean coal. Um, it's putting a nice Orwellian spin on a practice. So, Like he, this person meant that phrase seriously? Uh, well, he's decided to get into politics, so he had to find a way to put a happy face on the industry that he works in, that he fully supports, right? That he believes in, that mm-hmm. has been good to him personally, right? right. Um, and it so that's his family, right? Uh, if he has one, I don't know even know if he has a family, but um, I don't, I don't. I have <laughs> he no idea. has parents. He has parents, but <laughs> maybe they feed themselves at this point. They've got their own spoons, so I don't know. I don't know how all that's working in the house. Um, but the the point of he, so I I. Uh, the fact that he decided to, uh, as a citizen, that he wanted to throw his hat in the ring in the political process, I think is laudable. Yeah. Somebody who's decided just not to sit on the bench and, and gripe about things. But A lot of people uh, do that and don't sure, ever get involved. And don't get involved. And I think there are other ways because mm-hmm. people have accused me of that, of being uh, you know, armchair uh, philosopher, uh, political pundit without getting directly involved in the process. Right. I don't think everybody should be running for office. Why don't you go door to door, Dark? Right. Why don't I go knock on people's door and get them to whatever, all that. So I, I think it's a laudable thing to do, which is to take on uh, the task of He's going uh, straight uh, representing to Congress? people. Yeah, like straight that's- to Congress. <laughs> From the oil field of North Dakota, ain't Montana, to uh, Congress. Well, so, Trump did that. The oil field? What? No, he went straight from normal American jobs right, was, to president. Yeah, but he had a nice brand built up already. Everybody knows who that guy is, whether you like him or not. Um, so it's an uphill, it's an uphill battle. And again, I don't think he's got a snowflakes chance in. Uh, um, Maybe he's going to do that thing that Steve Bullock is doing where he's running for Congress and then falls back and runs for a smaller office locally. Maybe, maybe. 
he seems like an all or nothing kind of guy. I, 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 I think he's very sincere in this, this idea. So this is a guy who voted Democrat, now supports Trump, and has decided that the people who are running for that congressional seat, so Gianforte won the congressional seat, who is a Republican mm-hmm. and a big Trump supporter. Mm-hmm. This character is not... Uh, happy because he says you got the seat and now you're abandoning the seat to go run for the governor's office. So oh. the governor abandoned the seat to go run for presidency. Guess, to run for Bullock presidency. Bullock is running for president. Right, to run for president. Yeah. So um, you have a Democrat and a Republican that he's both unhappy with. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's maybe postpartisan. I'm not sure. Um, but he's decided that oil is the big thing for him. Extraction, good paying jobs is the big issue for him. And again, whether I agree with him or not, doesn't matter. Uh, good on you for for taking on the task. So um, I try not to interact too much with uh, my friend. I'll call him my friend. Mm-hmm. He's, I, I, in person, we have much better conversations than we do online. There tends to be a little bit of a um, abrasion and name calling. Yeah, so a lot of name calling online. And uh, good it's natured, not very productive. Good natured in his his opinion, I find it non productive. In my opinion, but I don't take offense, but I don't find it very. So now he's saying he's gearing up for this campaign. Mm -hmm. Um, And so he made some post about it and I, I made some comment and, and then uh, there was some back and forth between him and some other people about um, me being a commie. Right. Uh, he calls you commie a lot. He does call me a commie. I told him that he needs to, if he's going to run for office, he needs to update his insults because communism hasn't been anything in it's like 20 really years anymore. or so. But anyway, it's a, it's a trope. So It's it's wittier than you socialist. Like that doesn't have quite the same zing to it. No, yeah. So that's, another, that's a whole other thing. So it, in the dialogue back and forth, one of his Facebook friends uh, decided to maybe take him to task over his, like, okay, if you're going to represent all the people, maybe you need to change your tack a little bit. One of his friends said that? One of his friends online, uh, local Butte girl, mm. who I then contacted because I saw their back and forth. Mm-hmm. And she was trying to provide some constructive criticism about his public profile since he was going to run for a political office. Right. And She should be his campaign manager. Right. Um, and so I contacted her and I found out a little bit about uh, this character. So she was raised uh, liberal and Catholic and now is a Trump supporter. Wow. Um, and uh, doesn't claim religion, but says that she more identifies with shamanic practices. And I'm not sure. Which like, so she went from Catholic to shamanic and, and liberal, liberal to Trump to supporter. Trump supporter. <clears throat> Right, and what I appreciated about her tack with our friend running for office here, and I'm not using any names yet because mm-hmm. I didn't talk to these folks beforehand. Right. I don't, I don't want to get into flame war anywhere. I'm really trying to illustrate what I think the importance of the project that we're doing is. And so talking to this lady, I appreciated her tack in dealing with her friend about trying to guide him towards a more productive conversation, which is what we're all about. Right. How do we have a more productive conversation? There are people out there doing it outside of our radio show. Yes, of course. Shocking. So um, she uh, says that she works often with uh, um, the people who wear the MAGA hats to maybe help give them some insight on how to have a more productive dialogue. And so she's having this conversation from what might be considered a more conservative or right-wing uh, perspective. Mm-hmm. She supports the, the the extraction energy. She and her husband apparently have been working in it for 20 years or so. Oh, wow. Um, 
but she doesn't support his notion of healthy extraction. She thinks she knows from her own experience and from, from science from science that um, sucking things out of the planet isn't really good for the planet or the things living on it. Well, sucking out is one thing. Injecting poisons deep into the earth and thinking because you can't see it on the surface everything's a okay maybe is a little disingenuous or naive. Yeah. So. So anyway, that's a guest that I'm, I'm trying to cultivate a slot for her to come in and have a conversation and talk about how she's having um, copacetic conversation, but within the context of post-orthodoxy. So she was raised in an orthodox Catholic or, uh, you know, orthodox, quote-unquote, Catholic. And potentially an adamantly liberal household. And potentially an adamantly pro, uh, you know, butte liberal. Mm-hmm. I think that might be a thing. Mm-hmm. a butte liberal um, zeitgeist. So now she's moved from that. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think is interesting. And that's what I want to pursue in the show that we're doing on Sundays from four to six. How do you move from one end of the spectrum out, not necessarily into the other end of the spectrum, but how do you move from uh, a bulwark, uh, a defended position mm-hmm. and expose yourself to other? I think maybe the way that I would put it um, is how do you, how does one move from the bubble where you think everybody else is wrong to stepping just outside of that and accept the reasonable doubt that maybe other people are right also, mm, or maybe mm. the things that you thought were everything aren't all perfectly true. All right. Well, I have a sense that maybe the, this this uh, potential guest that I'm talking about might think that everything that she came from is wrong, much in the way where I came from a very right-wing, fundamentalist, Christian um, uh, background Mm -hmm. to not thinking that they are... For a while, (laughs) I had to go through a phase where I thought I was way all wrong because it didn't work for me, Mm -hmm. and I don't feel like it was... it was a healthy way to be about in the world. There can be myriads of expressions of each orthodoxy. So getting out for me was immediately wanting to, um, it's like leaving a burning house and part of you is happy. The house is burning and part of you wants to go back and pull other people out. Mm -hmm. And some people don't know that the house is on fire and that creates conflict. Well, and a lot of times, um, people step outside of a belief system that they hated being in Mm. and then they turn around and are angry at that belief system and set the house on fire or angry at their parents for forcing that belief system on them right which means that their life continues to be defined by that belief system they're Mm. just on the other side of the fence it's like someone who escapes jail and then turns around and starts cussing out the jail instead of running away ah just run away Right. You know. But the wolves are out there in the outside where everything's wrong. So they're just staying in that little trench outside the jail where it's sort of safe. So I think part of my goal is to figure out examples of people who get from one one extreme out. Mm-hmm. Uh, not necessarily from one extreme to another because I see more of that. Your goal for post-orthodoxy? That's, that's my focus and I know you're co-hosting the show with me. So that's why I wanted to maybe talk about what our various perspectives and mm-hmm. interests were and what we're trying to tease out as individuals in this co-hosted show. I had thought a while ago of starting a Facebook group just for my friends and their friends who I knew um, had in particular, and I was starting from the nexus of what I know and branching out, uh, starting a Facebook group 
for people who had left strict Christian upbringings mm. so that we could all, because I'd noticed, you know, scattered friends casually mentioning their belief systems changing or um, getting into spats with people who were still participants in the church online. And I thought it'd be nice to have a Facebook group where we can all put our ideas together, talk about books that have helped us get out, books that have helped us understand um, that we might not be going to hell because we started watching R-rated movies, those sorts of things. Um, And like a support group. Um, And I figured it would probably gain traction pretty quickly of people who needed to know that there is still community when you have had to choose to leave the religious community that you grew up in. Right. And then um, we had that lovely show with Anna, who is post-Mormonism. And... um, uh, Post-Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Right. And she... uh, It was really after that show that I thought that a, a radio show would be a great way... Um, in the pattern of copacetic conversations to have conversations with people far and wide about what in what did they grow up in when did they realize that maybe it wasn't the only true thing and then from that point which is just the first step of the journey is that introduction of reasonable doubt when did they become motivated or feel strong enough to step out of that community despite all of the warnings Mm. and how has their journey been since then so uh, let's talk about you for a second. Okay. You came from a a uh, orthodox, uh, reformed even conservative reformed evangelical. So that's a fundamentalist, perhaps. It was called the Confederation of Reformed Evangelical Churches. Yeah, but they're probably you would they would probably fall under the fundamentalist. Oh yes, definition. It, it was a fundamentalist religion because they believed that their version was the only correct version and strictly followed it no matter what information was presented to them and believed that anyone who didn't believe what we believed was on the outside someone right. someone other than us different okay. so were you when you came from that you just talked about the idea of when you leave that world when mm-hmm. you decide to make the choice there's some choices there's some deliberation you don't just wake up one morning and say eh, i'm done with this right you're wired especially when you're born into it you're hardwired into a way of thinking and a way of perceiving mm-hmm. um so, so it takes years to realize how many pockets you still have left to clean out right so before you get to that point you had to have some sort of thought process where you had to make a choice you had to decide to leave that world. Mm-hmm. I would call that step two. Okay. So then when you choose to leave the world, that's a big heroic step. How long was it for you mm-hmm. between the time when you said, okay, I'm taking the leap to when you could start being vocal about the leap you had taken? Oh, boy. Um, because I, I have a, we have a mutual friend I was talking to on the phone and uh, we talk about our lives and challenges and mm-hmm. so on and so forth. And uh, he said, you know, I even though I have not gone to church and that's not my thing for years and years and years, um, I still kind of wince at the idea of being struck by lightning. Right. If I say, if I say anything that's against what I came from. Right. I'm not practicing it, but I still, I still, still controlled by it. Think it's probably true. Or the imprinting is there. Yeah. Like it's like almost like a Pavlovian thing. Yeah. Right? So some some the of the bell jokes, rings you some, salivate. Yeah. Uh, 
somebody says something about God in a in a way that is non-respectful and you immediately start distancing yourself from that person physically within a few feet so Just the lightning bolt lightning. doesn't hit you. Right. right. That's a real thing. It is. So And how- people might laugh, but that's that's a legitimate trauma. Religious trauma isn't in the canon yet, but it's on its way. Um, so how long do you want to talk about that? Like that moment of like, okay, you make the leap and you decide to get out. And then once you decide to get out, because I think when we're talking to people, no matter what orthodoxy you're leaving, Mm -hmm. I think there's a, there's, there's, there's a psychological map that I would like to find out how these various people got out of their various realms Mm -hmm. and their steps. One is whatever causes you to start doubting. Well, if I could interject, I've, I've, I've over our past couple of weeks of conversation and developing this show, I've come up with um, a working map. I guess oh, you would call it a thesis. Okay, good. Let's right? That's how science works. You come up with a thesis. Hypothesis. An hypothesis. Yes. And then you do a bunch of research to see if the evidence supports your hypothesis, right? So what do you got? So um, according to my experience and a bunch of other people's experiences leaving either orthodox religion or other fundamentalisms, um, I think the first step is the introduction of reasonable doubt. You live in a bubble and you don't know that you live in a bubble. Right. You think that the bubble you live in and the way you see the world and the things that you think are right and wrong is the way that it actually is. Yes. And everybody else either already knows it and is denying it or they just don't know it yet and you should tell them. Right, exactly. And then something happens that introduces reasonable doubt. For me, it was realizing that my gay friends were just people and not monsters or horrible sin people or like, and then I had to evaluate what I'd been told about gay people, which is that they're going to hell. It's unhealthy. It's unscientific. Sexuality is for, yeah, Yeah. like sexuality is for having children and nothing else. Right. And I was confronted with loving gay couples and loving gay families, raising children. And, um, I just had to struggle with that for several years. So that was the reasonable doubt. That was the reasonable doubt. That was the like, the feeling of maybe what I think is absolutely obviously the truth isn't completely absolutely obviously the truth. And then if one of those things isn't the truth, how many other things aren't the truth? That's the introduction of reasonable doubt. So you fell a victim to the gay agenda. Basically. Okay. Just like my mother always feared. Right. So then. So that's step one is the introduction of reasonable doubt. You realize that that what you think is reality might not actually be be reality. Yeah. Yeah. And then comes the moment where um, you realize that you can't take it anymore. And that expresses itself differently for different people. For some people, it's sunshine and roses. And they are loved by their family and they say, hey, I think I'm going to study some Buddhism for a while. Or, hey, I think it's really a lot easier for me to use plastic grocery bags than paper all the time because of where I live. And the family's like, hey, we get it. Every, you know, everybody's got different circumstances and we just want you to be happy. And so they learn and change and grow and explore new things. And tra la it's amazing. Um, but for most of the people that I've talked to, when they get to the point where they can't continue to live in reality that they are experiencing and try to force their belief system onto that reality, they're exhausted. And so they decide I can't take it anymore. And that's like, to me, step two is Is like, would you call that cognitive dissonance having to live with the cognitive dissonance? That'd be a big scientific term for it for sure. Yeah. Cognitive dissonance. Um, I think this is reality but I'm experiencing something else. The challenge is that. And it's exhausting. And right. and either people will take 
um, what we call a leap of faith. Mm. You can leap of faith into religion and you can leap of faith out of religion. Uh, right. <laughs> you kind okay. of have to because it's all faith to begin with. Well, for people like you and I, we didn't take a leap of faith into religion. No, I was just We were indoctrinated. In from the beginning. Right. Um, but some people do... Leap in. Leap in as adults. And in general, like some of the people that we met last week on the film, have a much better time of it when they choose it as adults. Sure, sure. For themselves. Um, uh, So the second step is um, I can't take it anymore. Mm -hmm. And that's where you begin planning your escape. Um, You're still playing by the rules just in case you're wrong. But you're also kind of looking for um, a light shining through the edge of the forest. You're like, I'm pretty sure there's something outside this forest, even though I've been told everything is forest. Yeah. And so I'm looking for proof that maybe it's going to be okay. And for me... That's the mind opening up right, somewhat to other options, realizing other perceptions. that there's other stuff out there. Right. Um, and that it might be okay. Because what we've been told our whole lives is that there's other stuff out there and it's all bad, wrong, and scary. Uh, dangerous. Stay here with your people where you are loved yeah. and safe. Yeah, because you, you'll be eaten if you leave the tribe. Right. right. And so then you have to step, you have to go to, you have to, go to the light. Okay. Um, and so for me, I got to Ironic. a point, right? Um, I got to a point where I was exhausted. I was bitter about all of my friends' relationships because my relationship was really unhappy. Mm. And I was faking it when people asked me how I was doing for the day. And I realized as a very happy person that I wasn't happy anymore. Mm. And um, and so I, for me, how it looked was I told the person I was in a relationship with that we needed to take a break. And I basically didn't eat for a week. The person you were married to. Yes. Right. Yeah. Um, Which was a part of the culture of this thing that you're leaving. The marriage is a whole other thing, right? Right. Um, you're not, you can't, you just can't divorce. You can't. Yeah. It's not, you're, it's, it's, it's a major misstep. So you made, you had to go up against a dragon of sorts. You had to go up against something that was definitely this is no longer you making things in your brain and mm-hmm. trying to figure out things now you have to make a public step i had done all the thinking i could and at that point it, i had to make a step against something that you were never supposed to make a step against and divorce was just never something you were going to do can i just ask because i i think it's different for every person like what process you go to totally but these steps that you're talking about sound familiar to me i'm just talking about my version of the steps right. but i think those steps are Maybe not universal, mm-hmm. but there is some uh, natural progression that happens when you're leaving a bubble. Um, how long did it take you from the reasonable doubt mm-hmm. to the public declaration where you told you you decided to uh, augment your relationship in a way that was going to make it public? Mm-hmm. That you were no longer in the fold. I can't do these rules anymore and live. Right. So I, the first time that I met someone who I knew was gay, because mm-hmm. um, I I know now that there were several gay kids in my church that were just in the closet, closet yeah. or being trained out of it, quote trained unquote, quote unquote, out of it. right, right. Um, counsel, abused, counsel, abused, abused yes. conversion therapy, etc. Yeah, um, call it what it is. Yes. So I was seventeen. So I'd been, I, I got back, I got baptized by believers baptism when I was nine. I'd been a Christian my whole life, but at nine, I woke up in the middle of the night, terrified that even though I love Jesus, I would still go to hell because the rules say 
even if you love Jesus, if you haven't been baptized, you're still going to hell. No backside pass. Yeah. So I, um, so I had to get baptized and was very relieved that now I'm in the club. You're good to go. Good to go. Um, and then that was nine. Yeah. Oh yeah. I wrote myself a letter that I still have somewhere for my future self to read about how I felt about wanting to get baptized. Oh, that'd be fun to find. And my parents gave me an amethyst necklace to remind me of my Christian birthday, oh. um, like a birthstone, because oh, okay. I was baptized in February. Oh, and that's the color for February? Yeah. That sounds like some sort of pagan ritual. It's all very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I was also given a necklace when I started puberty to remind myself that my heart belonged to my dad until he gave it to my husband. Jesus. So um, uh, so I met my first uh, a boy in college when I was 17, and he was gay. And, uh, we were friends and then one day he was having a breakdown and I was like, why are you crying? Let me hug you. And he's like, my boyfriend broke up with me, which just kind of made my brain explode because how do you deal with that? Gay people are supposed to be evil and unhealthy and unhealthy and secretly unhappy, but they're faking being happy. Right. Like this is all the brainwashing. Can't be real because they don't know. And then that was kind of just a conversation that I continued to have with myself and other very, very kind and patient gay people for um, almost 10 years. Okay, I think that's kind of a key component because you didn't do this by yourself. No, I talked with a lot of people who were outside the bubble that I thought was reality. Who And you were still defending yourself. I was. I, right. was, I was defending all of those belief systems quite well, if I might add. No, you, you're um, diligent. So like when you're defending the system because that's your training, that's your, actually it's your identity. It is my identity and my whole community, my family, every single person that clan, was my friend, your people. all of my elders. So I, I want to... I was homeschooled, so I didn't go to school. Right. I want to move forward with this, but I want to dwell here for just a moment because when you say patient, kind and patient people, mm -hmm. so... Tell me about those dialogues. You're saying something that was basically the kind, patient people might have been people that you were looking at from the inside as outsiders that were going to go to hell because they weren't in with you. Yeah. And they were being kind to you. Mm -hmm. How did that manifest? So I'll tell two two people. Uh, one was a guy named Danan, like um, Canaan, the promised land, but with a D. Okay. Um uh, he was a blacksmith and a contra dancer, and I, that was I went contra dancing in at, in North Carolina for a couple of years when I was eighteen and nineteen, and so he and I were friends like every Thursday for a couple of years, and I really liked him, mm. but the rules said that I couldn't do anything until I was married to somebody. No kissing. Nothing. You weren't what even about holding hands. Mm, maybe when you're engaged under supervision. Okay, so because everything's a slippery slope. To how sex. old were you when you were contra dancing? Eighteen and nineteen. Eighteen and nineteen. Never really held hands with anybody. Nope. Never kissed anybody. Nope. Now you have somebody you're attracted to, and they're not in the. They're world. not. They don't. Yeah. So I'm saying I really like you, and he's saying I really like you, and I'm like, here are the rules, and he's like, okay. So probably the, the skankiest thing that we did was, <laughs> I mean, this is how it felt. I was right, getting right. away with big, bad stuff. And what was the big, bad stuff uh, you got away with? One night when we were all contra dancing, and my mother, I guess, thought it was okay because I was going with five other Christian girls. Okay. Um, Dana and I went off to the edge of the dance, and he gave me a shoulder rub <laughs> while I was sitting between his legs. That must have been pretty extreme for you. I was 
I had a very hard time thinking. I was like shivering and feeling really guilty and feeling really excited. And he was giving me a shoulder rub and that's like all it was. Like he didn't push any boundaries. And we just talked in the dark the whole time about my rules Uh and the Christian dating rules and Christianity in general. And he never pushed any boundaries. I, I set the pace the whole time. Did that feel like you were being seduced by the outside? No, was there I, resistance internally for you? Uh, or was it all like, how do I make this not resistant? How do I make the leap over Well, where I can enjoy this? It's pretty much like divorce. You just don't do it. Okay. So I wasn't going to do anything with Danon. Just wasn't going to happen? No. So you couldn't but even I, start I, looking for a I just like sort loophole. of I just sort of like smushed up against the line as hard as I could. Sure. Okay. <laughs> um. Yeah, there was no, there was no loophole. There was, there was, cause, cause virginity is like a 4.0. Oh, Once right. you've lost it, you've lost it. Right. If you lose your 4.0, you will never have your 4.0 again, no matter how little you lost your 4.0 or how hard you work to get it back. Okay. So that was one of the instances where that, now this that is person the was very patient, was patient. I, yeah. And very kind and very understanding of my beliefs and the fact that I was still, um, completely embroiled in my belief system, and he couldn't pull me out of it because I would resist. Now, was he trying to tell you how your system was wrong? No. He was just listening and talking. Was he asking questions? Mm-hmm. He asked a lot of questions, so I was explaining my belief system you to someone to on the outside right. for, for kind of the first time. Okay. The second instance where someone was very patient and kind with me um, is a, a, a guy named Leslie that I was in my... Uh, third college with he was he is um uh, he's a nurse now he was a very sweet um gay man uh african-american gay man very flamboyant i totally know now what a gay person looks like and leslie was totally being it (laughs) um (laughs) like the hands and the nice dressing and the like eye roll and like stereotypes sister no he He was a stereotype it was beautiful okay um it was beautiful because he was a real person he wasn't just some character in a film that my family scoffed at right um and uh we spent several late nights talking about and he would listen to me try to explain why why even though gay people are nicer than some Christians, and even though they have committed relationships and raise beautiful children who contribute to society, that they're still going to hell. And he he defended himself some, and he got emotional, and I got emotional, but we remained friends. And he very patiently talked with me and and had an argument with me about my belief system without just saying you're wrong, you're wrong. or you're hurting me by your belief system, which would have also made me feel defensive. Right, because your belief system is really uh, damning of his world. It's just wrong. Uh, right, and and he was patient through that. Yeah. So, and how old were you with that? About 20, probably 24. 24. So this has been going on for a number of years, yeah. from like 18, 19 seven, to 24. Seven, yeah, and then um, the the second step so first step is introduction of reasonable doubt maybe my reality isn't actually all of reality and second step is i can't take it anymore Uh and that was um for me i had been married for five years and i was very unhappy and we and there was no end in sight for that i was just gonna have to stay married until i died okay Uh, my husband and i weren't loving each other the way that each person needed to be loved um he was a super introvert i was a super extrovert and i uh kids stopped talking to me because I became one of those faker jaded adults, just like everybody else. Mm. And that kind of broke my heart Mm. and, um, among other things. And so I, 
I had to put my foot down. And I was like, I either I have to do this until I die or I just have to quit. Um, there's not really any in between. You can't just keep faking it and faking it. Or I didn't want to be a cheater. You know, mm-hmm. cheaters are people who don't want to quit and also don't want to do it forever. Right. So I told him, I was like, let's take a break. And uh, a variety of circumstances happened. But basically for me, that moment was um, the moment where I had to, I had to own it. I can't live in this. I can't live in the world that I am experiencing while trying to force my experiences into a set of rules anymore. Did you ever feel suicidal? No. Did you ever think that maybe I can't take this anymore, so I'm just going to kill myself? No. Okay. And I really hope that ongoing conversations about how to leave behind the bubble Mm -hmm. heals some of America's suicidal tendencies. Right. Because you want to kill yourself when you think you don't have the power to change anything. Well, I, I, cause I speaking from my own experience, I was suicidal my whole life. And so I would make, I would come to the crossroads Mm -hmm. where I'm like, I can't take this anymore. I should just kill myself. I should just kill myself. But I thought, well, if I'm going to kill myself, According to the story, I'm going to go to hell. Right. So maybe if I go do something crazy and radical, I'll get killed. But it won't send you to hell. It won't send me to hell. So yeah. it was. It made for a very reckless, mm-hmm. dangerous, adventurous mm-hmm. uh, exit for me. It was a very different story. But I think all the the mark these these your thesis mm-hmm. of these various stages, I can find hypothesis. Your you hypothesis, yes. Um, is the same story for me as well. Very different circumstances, mm-hmm. very different uh, ways of dealing with those, very different data points that informed those points for me. But so far, so good. It sounds like the same trip that I had. Yeah. Of reasonable doubt, cognitive dissonance, trying to figure out how to mm-hmm. how to weigh two different things. I can't balance the beliefs with the reality with the reality, anymore. right. Mm-hmm. And then eventually having to make a stand. Right. And take action. So you took action, you were in your 20s, when you decided to leave the marriage. Right. I was uh, 27. 27. So it was 10 years. Okay. And I was like, I, I will do the, if I keep doing this, it was like, you got to cut your losses in poker. Right. Um, I, I have to, I have to cut my losses and uh, stop doing everything to keep everybody else happy. That was how I, I was trying to boil it down because I knew I'd have to explain it to a billion people forever. Right. All of my concerned Christian loved ones because everybody that I knew and loved aside from like maybe 10 people was all in this church. Everybody that I knew in my whole life. Every, Nobody else. No. There were no schoolmates. There were, you know, they we were just all in this bubble. And so um, it was like I was trying to keep my mom. I wanted my mom to like me. I wanted to not go to hell. I wanted to be patted on the back for being a good wife. I wanted my siblings to be able to look up to me. I wanted to, you know, they put this burden on Christian marriages that a Christian marriage is a representation of how Christ loves the church. And so if the marriage breaks down, it's like this horrible symbology of the whole church. So you're carrying the weight of the church on your personal personal marriage. There is no personal life. Everything is connected to the church. So you make the choice. Yeah. You leave. I didn't eat for a week. The relationship. Yeah. You leave the place. 
So now you have I to did actually also go to a different state. And you had just you left. So Which you, I think was really good for me because yes. um, it was it was a physical representation of what happened to me in everybody else's hearts. So when you left, it wasn't like you saved up a bunch of money and you found out some you just left. Yeah. So my parents gave my ex-husband um, their van so that he would have a vehicle to drive. And, and you uh, took your car and I took my car and that you guys were sharing or something. Yeah. Yeah. So then you took your car and then you left physically. Yep. We were living in Missouri. Psychically, You left. And I drove to Georgia and I had like all the things I could fit in the Toyota RAV4 and mm-hmm. my computer and my cell phone charger and my toothbrush and, um, just went that way. I wanted to be a movie star. Okay. And I figured since I was going off the deep end of not trying to keep everybody happy and make my mom like me, I might as well go actually Pursue try to be a movie star, which right. I had always wanted to do. So in your exit, so now you've made an actual physical, it's more than just a mental choice. Right. You've made a physical exit. Mm-hmm. Now you're out in the world, mm-hmm. the scary place that you were told about. And um, did you just start telling everybody where you came from? Or did you did you feel like a refugee? Or like what was that experience for you? For people who, let's say, for people who are listening, who are maybe in that place right. where they're like, I'm feeling this tension. I, have to get out. I don't know what to do about it. Mm-hmm. Because for some people, it is suicide. Yeah. For some people, they're like, I can't, I'm not strong enough to venture out on mm-hmm. my own. So I might as well just end it. I just had a couple hundred bucks. So you did that. What would you say to people? Like, how did you deal with? Now you're out, you're quote unquote free from that world, it doesn't, but now you're yeah. new in the new world. Mm-hmm. So did you just run around telling everybody where you came from or how did you negotiate this? Cause it's gotta be like being a foreigner because you're outside of a culture. I didn't know how much I was a foreigner. Ah. I had no idea. I didn't right. know how weird I was. I had had some little inklings of how strange my reality was, Hmm. Um, like talking to the contra dancer when I was 19 or talking to my gay friend in college. Hmm. Um, Some inkling because of the way they would look at me like kind of squinty eyed, but I'm not going to say anything. There's a lot of that. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Like not knowing what a Smurf was when I got to college. They're like, not having, because you didn't watch TV either. Like you're kidding. You didn't have a lot of cultural culture. There was no pop culture. Um, we so were we were your... told not to look at the magazines in shopping uh, checkouts. Like not even d- look at. Don't them. look at the magazines. So, so that's uh, you're giving yourself up at every yeah. turn because you don't know the culture you're in. You don't know the world you're in. Well, I I got a restaurant job in Georgia. I was down to fifteen dollars, and I went and bought um, a really nice burger at mm. a really nice burger and beer place mm. um, with my last $15 and ran in. I, I was basically just like, I, I'm obviously not going to make this happen on my own. I've been trying to find a job for two weeks. I'm out of money. Um, my family won't talk to me. My friends won't talk to me, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, stranger, completely new state. And uh, I went and bought this burger with my last like, 15 bucks and met a uh, uh, older gentleman who had an extra room over his garage and knew a restaurant that was hiring. And I had a job and a place to sleep the next day. So maybe what, what I would see is like in contemporary Christian culture, mm-hmm. if you were just a lonely, desperate person who did not know the way of the church right? and you were sitting there, that person might be considered some sort of angel who's come down yeah. to help you. Yeah. From 
right? Yeah. It, it seems a little ironic to me that you left the church and encountered a encountered kind, help. I found helpful help. person. Not somebody who, he didn't like take you and then tie you up in the basement no. and try to control your life or no, he, he just offered he to would, help you out. I would come home from work. I lived with him for like six or seven months and I would come home from work and he would have bought grapefruit vodka and white cheddar popcorn for me so we could watch TV and like relax after the work week. So... Was and that there was surprising? Like, was that surprising to you that some random was stranger all kind would of, help you? It was all kind of magical. Um, I was very grateful. Uh, I didn't really understand. Uh, the way that I grew up, if you do the right things, you will receive good things. Okay. And I had done all the right things, but I was not receiving the promises. Ah. And so when I got, it wasn't really like I was like, yay, I'm leaping into the new promised land. It was like, I'm turning my back on that and I have no idea what's what next. What you're walking into, right. Um, and so I didn't feel like, yay, freedom. I felt like I don't know what the rules are now. Now, three or four years later, I can look back and see that like when you let go of resisting the flow of the river, the river takes you places. Right. Um, so I can see, you know, Dan Campbell showing up and offering me a room and a job without any weird sexual stuff involved as like the flow of the river being like, ah, come along, my child. You okay. know, now you are in the flow of the river. And it's only gotten um, in many ways smoother since then. I didn't, in regards to your original question, I didn't tell anybody that I had been married before for like a year and a half. So you were undercover? I didn't tell anybody I was homeschooled. I didn't tell anybody I was Christian. I didn't tell anybody I was married. I kind why, of just, why not? Why not? I kept all of that stuff to myself because I wanted to see how differently people <laughs> would treat me before they knew. Before they knew where mm. I had come from okay. because I had experienced telling people that I was homeschooled and watching them treat me differently. And so I wanted to see what it would be like and how long I could pass. So how was that for a year and a half having people look at you sideways because they know you ain't right? No, no, you're, you're projecting your I idea am. of my story. I am. People didn't think I was weird. They didn't. They, they just treated me like... They treated me like every old other person, like all these restaurant people that I was working with, okay. co cooks and server girls and the business people and the boss and the right. manager lady. Like they just treated me like I like a normal person. Like I'd grown up, gone to public school. Parents got divorced when I was 15, bounced back and forth, had a few boyfriends, maybe an abortion scare, like whatever. Everybody does the same things. So I, I say that because I figure you're you're mentioning you don't know a lot of cultural references. Right. You don't know, so you're It's really out of the easy loop for people lot. to not find that stuff out, though. So you can just, you just faked it. I was just really quiet. Yeah. 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 I was really quiet, and I learned things, and I laughed where other people were laughing. And um, when, I <laughs> when I finally told my restaurant manager, Barbara, that I had actually been married before, it was like she liked me more because oh. she was also a middle-aged divorcee. Right. <laughs> so it was very interesting how I chose to begin revealing myself to people. Now that you know um, the story of one of the co-hosts, uh, gives you a context for what we're, what maybe our motivation is. I'm looking forward to talking with other people who are on the bridge out of some kind of reality bubble. Yes. And on their way towards being able to let go of needing, needing there to be one correct right and wrong. There's a lot of tricky waters to negotiate here because I know that when you leave an abusive situation, mm -hmm. and for a lot of people, the orthodox is not... Uh, extreme enough, the orthodox or the fundamentalism is not extreme enough. I didn't think that I was abused. Right. There are people who are abused, though, in these situations. Mm -hmm. And so when they make the journey that you talk about, right. they're coming from a much more abusive 
uh, overtly abusive They might situation. feel justifiably hateful towards where they came and from. And so they want to turn and spit fire right. at their former captors. Oh, let me tell you. And that's part of the negotiation that we're doing here is that I'm interested in people who are getting out, but I also want to try to help facilitate... Um, some healing? Some healing because um, you didn't get out because people told you you were dumb and wrong for being in this thing. Nope. And I don't think that that's the same. We can go with the same political thing. I don't think anybody who is supporting a, a political candidate on the opposite end of the spectrum mm -hmm. from where you're coming from is going to suddenly go, you know what? You called me an idiot for having my point of view. Maybe I should change my mind. I don't see it working that way. No. So that's what we're working on here, folks. Um, stay tuned for what happens next. All is well. Thanks for uh, listening to your community radio station, folks. Stay tuned. You can join the post-Orthodoxy conversation by catching one of our live streams on Facebook, Twitch, or YouTube. If you'd like to connect with us online, we can be found on Instagram at post-Orthodoxy, on Twitter and Facebook as ourselves, and on Twitch as The Seviers. Our work on the post-Orthodoxy conversations is supported by listeners like you through our Patreon, where patrons of the show have access to perks and exclusive content. That's patreon.com slash post-Orthodoxy. Post Orthodoxy began as a live radio broadcast on KBMF 102.5 FM, America's Most Radio. Find other quality radio shows by the 70 plus volunteer DJs on the station archive at slash shows. Or you can stream live 24 7 from anywhere on the planet at slash stream. Our post-Orthodoxy theme music was composed by Frank Pascal, and a special thanks goes to our voice actors, Amelia, Colin, Zbo, Rosie, Gabo, Vicky, Mokai, and Tony. Thanks for playing. <laughs> What's outside your reality bubble?